This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today, and we've made it to Friday. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Adjust your expectations around this presidential election, because it's not going to look like anything we've ever seen. Plus, the more we learn about kids in the coronavirus, the riskier schools reopening seems. First, though, the next wave of city businesses is today's one big thing. There's a lot we don't know about what a post-COVID city will look like. For one, a lot of the stores we're familiar with might be gone. So what is the next wave of business post-pandemic going to look like? Markets editor Dion Rabowen has been researching this all week. This story breaks down into a couple of sections. The first part is that small businesses are going to be hit the hardest. As the pandemic hit, they were losing a ton of revenue, really all of their revenue for most stores. And even as we've opened up economies around the country, a lot of that business hasn't come back. Yes, many small businesses will go under, but they won't be the only ones. A lot of the folks I talk to who are experts in this area expect that you're not just going to see the big national chains move in and kind of take all that space over because they're struggling as well. This means landlords of those retail spaces won't have a lot of options when trying to fill these vacancies. In fact, we may see some small businesses come back. Landlords are going to be inclined and really positioned to try to work with some of these small businesses. And the ones that do stay in business will have some options and new small businesses will probably come in and take their places. The second part of the story is that there's a lot of other ideas around what could replace these vacancies. But for the most part, no one really knows yet. There's definitely going to be an expansion of these Amazon fulfillment centers, of basically e-commerce kind of having a brick-and-mortar presence where you can come in and you can either pick up your stuff or you can return your stuff, things like that. But there's also this big unknown. People aren't really sure what the next wave of businesses is going to look like. There is going to be space for the next wave of creators and entrepreneurs to come in and really launch something new and exciting that you know we haven't thought of yet. The third part of this is it's not just retail stores that are leaving cities. People are also moving out of these dense spaces and into suburbs and cheaper, smaller cities. I actually had a conversation with the chief economist of the National Association of Realtors, and he was going on and on about how Boise, Idaho was just about to be the place to be soon. So as these people are moving, it's going to put pressure on some of these landlords to make some changes. But you're still going to see people who want to live in places like New York and San Francisco. And as big box retailers leave and as there's less of a demand for that in-store retail, they're going to probably shift to something like uh, apartment complexes. We don't have a clear idea yet of how the pandemic will reshape our biggest cities. What we're watching next, though is as people and businesses move away, there's a lot of room for landowners, consumers, and businesses to work together to reimagine what the next iteration of the American city looks like. 
Deonra Bowen is the markets editor for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the latest on kids and COVID transmission. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. What do we know about the science behind kids spreading the coronavirus? Caitlin Owens covers healthcare for Axios, and she's here with the latest research. And spoiler, it's not looking great. It's been fairly obvious that kids are not getting as severely infected by the coronavirus as adults are. But kids have been locked up this whole time, or at least at the beginning. Schools were closed, daycare centers were closed, so we weren't getting a lot of information about how often kids get COVID and then how effective they are at spreading it. And that last part is especially key for the reopening schools debate because the question has been what role will they play in spreading COVID throughout their communities and to their family members and to their teachers and staff. Because now we've started to see evidence anecdotally of what the role of children is with the virus. Right. One particularly alarming anecdotal case study happened in a sleepaway camp at Georgia. There was about 600 people there, a mix of campers and then counselors. And within a week of orientation, one of the counselors started feeling bad. So a few days later, they shut down the camp. But by that point, half the camp had become infected with COVID. That says a lot about kids' ability to spread the virus to each other. We're also getting some more scientific studies out. One showed that kids actually carry as much, if not more, of the virus than adults do. That matters because how much you carry plays a role in infectiousness. So that's another sign that kids will be able to spread the disease. We're seeing children. That's a huge age range. Do we know what it is, the differences between, like, 10-year-olds and teenagers? We're learning more. There was a big study out of South Korea that found that kids 10 and up spread the virus to their household members at least as well as adults did, while kids under 10 did not seem to spread the disease as well. And that could be a good sign given that kids that are most at risk of falling behind if they don't attend in-person school are younger kids. What can people take away from all of this at this point? Right. It's important to note that these are anecdotal stories. Studies pile on top of each other, right? Like we shouldn't look at one as the end of the conversation. Think of them as maybe clues. You know, one study is one clue as to how this virus behaves. Of course, you know, I could eat my words one day, but as we're talking about reopening schools for in-person learning, it seems like that is risky for the community, including teachers and staff. Again, blissfully, the kids aren't getting super sick from the virus, but their family members could. Caitlin Owens covers healthcare for Axios. Axios Insider is a sneak peek into the conversations we have in our newsroom. Joining us this morning is our executive editor, Sarah Gu. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you. We have made it to Friday, and there has been a lot this week that has reminded us that this is not a normal election season, is it, Sarah? Oh, it's totally crazy. I mean, everything that Americans have come to expect about traditions from the conventions to debates 
to when we vote and how we vote is all going to be upended this year. I want to ask you about election night, Sarah, because we need to adjust our expectations around that as well. It depends on what the results are, right? If it's a landslide, that's one thing. But if things are close, as we've seen before, even in the Bush v. Gore case, this could go on for days and weeks. The lawyers are already jumping on this, mainly because election laws have changed. Because of the pandemic, several states have changed their laws to allow absentee voting or change the voting process for when it begins and when it ends. So we're not really going to be voting on election day. This is really going to be a weeks-long process that begins at the end of September, and who knows if it will even be over on election day. So if there's any one bit of advice I can give you, listeners, it is buckle your seatbelts because we should expect the unexpected. Sarah Kehilaniku is our executive editor. Sarah, thank you for that reality check. Thank you. Have the best weekend. Before we end this week, you might not realize that we produce this show entirely remotely from our houses. Alex Sugiyara is our sound engineer. He's in New York. I'm in D.C. On Wednesday night, he wrote something on our Slack channel in reference to our segment on nuclear warfare in Hiroshima. We wanted to share it with you. I said, speaking as someone whose father was born in Japan in 1945, I am grateful to be here. If you want to share this, you can. Like, what prompted you to write that? You know, it's easy to lose sight about how lucky we all are. So much of our privilege is a byproduct of luck. He's 75 this year, too. The weight of it hit me a little bit. This week marks the 75th anniversaries of the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's it for us this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Carol Alderman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, and Naomi Shaven. Alex Sugiyara is our mix engineer. Sarah Kehilani-Gu is our executive editor. Special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Thank you.